My son said to me tonight, Mom, grown-ups think that most kids are angels, but really, most kids are jerks. <laughs> it was the first time in a long time I had nothing to say back. <laughs> this is Parenting is a Joke. We'll be back right after this break. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. It used to be chill. It's all up in smoke. I think I'm still fun. Parenting's a joke. I was cool. Oh, yeah. No time to be cool. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Parenting is a Joke. I'm an overwhelmed version of Ophira Eisenberg. And on the show, we bring together comics and talk about their work, their career, and what it is like to do that with kids. Yeah. Like, how the fuck do they do it? Tell me, please. Guess what? In today's episode, I talk to Eric Bogosian about his work and what it's like to be a grandfather. I mean, it seems so dumb but i'll literally get out a video of you know a 10 second video of him doing something walking or saying something i'll play one for you right now and and uh it's like taking a shot of you know some kind of happy pill you know how kids have this brain where uh, they can't remember that you asked them to hang up their jacket about three minutes ago, but they do remember that moment in the pharmacy five months ago when they begged for some stuffy that is being sold at the fucking drugstore. What? And you say, no, but and they came back with, well, can I at least have it for my Easter basket? And you, beaten down, said, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's lodged in their little minds forever. Well, that happened to me. And then we were back in that pharmacy last week, and my son brought up that moment that he remembered and told me that I promised 
<laughs> These kids are so good at manipulation because, you know, I I guess I did promise because I said, sure. Uh, and I'm trying to teach him that he has to make good on his promises because before I buy him a popsicle, he will list like the nine things he's going to do for me. And then we have to do a thousand follow through. Anyway, so I have to make good on mine to be a good model. Right. Right. Uh, so I said, yeah, OK, but I'll only buy it if it's under ten dollars. You know why? Because I was expecting it to be at least 12. Turns out it was eight ninety nine. So I bought it, tricked again, everybody, but I was trapped, right? Okay, I guess I'm a soft touch. So then, before bed, he was cuddling it, cute, playing with it, so very cute. And I said goodnight to him, and then he said the stuffy named Marlon no idea how, wanted to say goodnight to me. And then he voiced the little stuffy and went, goodnight, old woman. And I said, what? <laughs> yeah. And my son said, mom, that's what Marlon said, not me. <laughs> A kid. He is using every tool he has to get to me. He's succeeding. Now, my mother had her kids both young and old because she had her first child at 17 years old and her last child, me, at 43. So she was a grandmother before I was even born, and I was an aunt the second I was born because my oldest sibling had two kids, one who was uh, much older than me and one that was one year older than me. So me and that niece, my niece, uh, we hung out as kids all the time because we were so close in age. And I will say my mother always looked very good for her age. And we always went on walks as a family. So we were on this walk all together. I was young with my niece. And my mother was sitting on this bench. Me and my niece were running around. And this very good-looking, distinguished man on his walk, saw my mother just sitting on this bench, looking out onto the water, and he went to approach her. At the same time that my niece, with a dandelion in hand or something, just ran up to her and went, Grandma, look! <laughs> and the man just did a 360 and walked away. And my mother teased my niece, going, never yell that in public again. That nice man was going to talk to me. There are so many problems with that memory, but it has been lodged in my brain ever since it happened. Uh, I guess I'd say we've all come a long way, baby, but we really haven't. And I say that as an old woman, in the words of the pirate dog Stuffy named Marlin. So in the spirit of all of that, guess what? Today we have our first grandparent on the show. We wanted to get stories from other grandparents, so we did a call-out and thought we'd get a lot of judgy talk about how parenting has changed over the years. But instead, we got mostly lovely, sweet, almost like stereotypical grandparent talk. I know there's some salty grannies out there, but for now... Grab some chamomile tea, make yourself comfy, get your favorite blankie, and enjoy some earnest grandparent talk. What seems different about parenting now from when you were parents? I don't uh, really worry about my grand. When the day's over, they're not my uh, concern anymore. Yeah. And what do you not like about your kids' parenting style? 
That's a hard question. <laughs> That's a mean question. Oh, no, uh, well, no. Korean parenting is so much easier, <laughs> and it's a lot more fun. You don't have to... Uh, no discipline. You know, worry about giving them too many sweets and stuff like that. It's like parenting, but the best of it, really. I think as a grandparent... I'm not judgmental in the way that I was judgmental as a parent. The most unexpected thing about becoming a grandparent is how little it takes for me to be completely charmed and connected to my grandchildren, any of them, at any age. It's quite magical. What do you think I get wrong about parenting? You're tough in most things, but you're compromising too easily with this. That's his right. What did I feeding. say? It's feeding? What is coming in in the morning and giving him six choice of food? He comes in, it's cereal, that's it. You don't like to eat that? Wait till lunch. <laughs> After the break, I'll talk to the very talented Eric Bogosian. So stay tuned. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. What a treat this is. Today's guest does it all. He is an actor, playwright, monologist, novelist. His plays, Talk Radio and Suburbia, were both turned into films. He's also starred in the movie Uncut Gems, plays Gil Evis on Succession. It's Eric Bogosian. Thank you so much for being here, by the way. Thanks for having me, Afira. In person. And I know that when we were scheduling this you said that we needed to do it uh, at a certain point in the day just because later you would be hanging out with your grandkid. I'm on my way. Yeah. After this, I go, I babysit one day a week uh, in the afternoon with my, I guess he's 17 months old now, my yeah. grandson. He's uh, he's a barrel of laughs. He's going to be giving you a run for your money in the comedy world <laughs> soon. So you have two sons. How old are they now? My eldest just turned 36 okay. and the others 30 will be 32. They're not even young men anymore. They're just now men. they're real people. Yeah. You've worked in almost every medium in the creative world, but am I right with thinking that you have never done a musical? <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> okay. I was in a band in high school and they started having practices somewhere didn't tell me where the practices were. So that says something about my singing prowess. You were singing in the band? Were you playing yeah, an instrument as Johnny well? Yeah, Johnny Be Good, that kind of... And I guess I was oh, yeah. just so terrible. They didn't know how to break it to me because it's high school. So they just stopped inviting me to practice. I love with all the things that you've done, you're like, why? you know what, I did a missed opportunity with not doing more of a singing, you know. I well, I was in a Waits. band. I had a band in New York. Uh, briefly, there was a noise band period in the late 70s. I was part <laughs> yes. of I was part of the visual arts world. Even though I was an actor, I was hanging around with all these visual artists down in Soho and Tribeca back when it, before it was Soho and Tribeca. And people had bands and I created this band called Ricky Paul and the Nips. I would just get out there and be flat and awful. And then I would do a comedy routine that wasn't funny. This is 1979. <laughs> and that was the thing. I mean, I wasn't the only person doing it. Obviously, Andy Kaufman was doing it. Bill Murray was doing it. I was probably inspired by them. And I played this guy, Ricky Paul, who was just awful. And that punk aesthetic then eventually fed into the stuff I did afterwards. And when I say punk aesthetic, I mean lots and lots of energy, funny, smart, because I think that's all part of punk. And we see that in a lot of the characters you've written. Andre Royo is doing Drinking in America right now. That's a show yeah. that I did uh, 37 years ago <laughs> when I was coming out of this period I'm describing. And it's, and it's great to watch for me in two ways. One, here's a very different person from me doing a different sort of take on all of this stuff. But there's another factor that I didn't realize until I went to opening night. And I was, my son, one of my sons was a few seats away from me. Andre had so inhabited these guys on stage that they became kind of real. And then I thought, but that's me. I mean, these bits are grounded in stuff that happened to me over the course of my life. So there's one guy who's a serious 
heroin user, and there's another guy who's part of sort of like a crew that causes trouble on the street, which is sort of the guys I grew up with. And I just really wondered, like, wow, I that's not like I made that up. That's me. That's my life. And here's my son. And what does he think about dad, you know, cranking dope? And, you know, does that frighten him? Does it, you know... He said he was aware of all of that. We talked about it afterwards, but I kind of wasn't. It's kind of <laughs> like I don't believe like, what are you kidding me? That's, I did that and I did. But I think in some ways when I was hanging around with some of the, the crews in my hometown and so forth, I was sort of taking notes all the time. There was this whole thing in my head from the time I was and very young. And just to be clear, your hometown is Wo- Woburn, Massachusetts, Woburn. which at the time was when I was growing up had some heavy cats in it. Now it's close to Boston, so it's an expensive town, but it wasn't when I was growing up. It was sort of like this old industrial, I mean, they made jello in my town. And you, right. some days it, the town would smell like strawberry because they were making strawberry oh jello. Gosh. That's where I come from. And I think there was a part of me that always felt like I'm taking notes for someday. I'm going to be like this writer and I will write about all of this stuff. Did you feel like you fit in there or did you always feel like you're an no, outsider? I was always an outsider for of different reasons. One, I don't look like most of the kids that I grew up with. I have this sort of Middle Eastern look, which to me, growing up, the only people who looked like me were all the kids at my Sunday school over at, in Watertown, Mass. I'm Armenian. So that was always something very different about me. And this religion thing was also another part of it because everybody was Catholic where Catholic, I grew up. Right. And everybody went to St. Barbara's on Sunday and I didn't. And they didn't. They were like, where do you go? And even then, I guess I had a sardonic sense of humor. I'd say, well, we go to this place where there's this big rock and we pray to this rock. It's It represents Satan <laughs> and we, we kill babies on it or something. And they believe me. Sure. Yeah. When did you discover theater? I was like 15, I guess. And the teacher said, today we're doing a play called Romeo and Juliet. And everybody's going to play parts. And you're going to be Juliet's dad. And I'd never been to a play. I didn't know what really what plays were. Right. And I took to it like like a, I don't know, duck to water or something. That like. was the moment you realized you loved acting and you didn't even know what it well, was? Well, I didn't know what it was. I yeah. loved it. It really fit me. And then I found out there was an acting club in my high school and suddenly I had friends and I had and a wonderfully generous teacher. I can't say enough about how great a great teacher can be. Her name was Dot Welling. She would tell us how great we were just like all the time. You're just great. You're wonderful. And we believed it. That nurturing really meant a lot, like actually having an authority figure say, you guys are great. Especially, I mean, somebody like me who hadn't really fit in anywhere. And I kind of thought I was great in some way. I think that's because of my grandparents and stuff. They were always doting. I mean, now that I'm a grandparent, yeah. I look at my little guy and I think, does every grandparent feel? They must. You just feel like this child is so special and so <laughs> wonderful and every time i see him my heart just gets bigger and i feel so good i will i mean it seems so dumb but um i'll literally get out a video of you know a 10 second video of him doing something 
walking or saying something i'll play one for you right now and and uh and 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 it'll it's like taking a shot of you know some kind of happy pill or something and i and i'll do that in the course of a day it's amazing hey girlfriends it's me carol fisher i'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of the girlfriends In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here... We have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. You moved to New York in 1975. In the fall of 75. And I learned all about the theater, and I learned. I worked a few blocks from here. I lived in the theater. I lived in the attic, and um, you lived in the attic of, of the theater. Of, yeah, it's the West Side. 
I don't know what they call it today, the West Side Arts Theater and uh, 43rd just off of 9th. Oh, yeah. And um, they said, if you paint the attic, you can live there. So I lived there. and uh, That's going for about $7,000 a month right now, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, what's funny is that, you know, if you can put yourself back into 75, imagine no computer, no internet, no phone, no nothing. And I would just be up there, you know, smoking dope and reading Harold Pinter every day. So um, in the fall of 76 or just before that, I, I had landed a job trading Japanese steel at the World Trade Center. I had landed an apartment with roommates and I was moving here, but I had dropped a resume months and months before at a little place called The Kitchen down on Broom Street. And when I got to New York, my roommates had been robbed by one of the other roommates. And I had gotten there late, so I didn't get robbed. And in the midst of this, again, if you can imagine a time without cell phones and so forth, I call my dad back home and he says, this guy is trying to reach you from a place called The Kitchen. They want you to call them. And I called them and basically I never showed up at the job trading the Japanese steel. I got another apartment and I showed up at work for $100 a week at the kitchen. Which is a theater company. It was a big loft in Soho at the time and they did new music and they did performance art and they did a little gallery thing and they did video art. Kathy Bigelow was hanging around there at the time and Robert Maplethorpe had his first erotic show down there and I don't know anything about any of this stuff. I'm 23 years old. And as I start to watch these performance art people, I realize that it's kind of a rudimentary form of theater, whether they know it or not. As far as I could tell, I had no ambition, no plans for anything other than to be part of this scene. And when we made stuff, when we made performance, we made it for each other. I was dealing with a non-theater going audience. So whenever I made stuff, it was like, you got to keep everybody's attention or they're going to be like, you'd be in a club sometimes. Sounds like, I mean, it sounds like stand up on some level with that. It's like, you really have to work hard to keep these people engaged or you die. Yeah. I did do stand up one night at catch and as soon as rising star. Okay. And as soon as I stepped on stage, you know, you see those two lights that the audience can't see the red light, the green light. And the red light just started blinking as soon as I (laughs) started. And it was like being run over and mugged at the same time. And I thought, this is not for me. I don't know what this is, but I can't do it. So you have two small kids and you're working both in film in theater and your wife the mother of these children is also a, a working in theater how are you juggling that just with early mornings and getting the kids to school what kind of it was hard <laughs> <laughs> uh, we tried to make a deal that whoever had the gig first would have first dibs, and then the other person had to cover for the other person. That worked a lot of the time, but sometimes it didn't work because I would get gigs that paid a lot of money as the kids were getting older. So there was that angle. But a lot of the time, I I carried the water. I mean, when you have kids in preschool and in in early school, elementary school, it's a kind of a, you start your day around 7 a.m., so we would take turns. Who's who's getting up with the kids? That's the big question. Yes. Some of you don't remember. And then you get up and you get them off to school. And in my case, I had just done a show the night before a lot of time. I mean, a lot of these like shows me. were four months. I had done H seven shows a week. Um, talk radio was four months. Uh, Sex, drugs, rock and roll was six months. And that was 90. 
So Travis was just on his way then. So anyway, these little guys have to get off to school. So we take turns and eventually you get to the point where they're going to a school that's a little bit far away. So now there's carpooling. And I would carpool after doing a show. So I'm pulling myself out of bed. It's it's six thirty. You got getting home them at dressed. Four. <laughs> I don't even know how I did it at the time. But driving little kids at seven in the morning when you can't think straight, well, let's just put it this way. Some of the car accidents were pretty spectacular. And uh, the kids would be like, be like, don't tell your parents what happened today with this cop, right? And there was like scrapers and bumpers and things, but sometimes it was pretty nuts. And then I have to pick them up after school. But then I would have this system of taking a nap in the afternoon and then get to the theater and go through that. And of course, Joe was doing half of that. So it wasn't like it was every single day. And she was doing plenty of other stuff because if I had a location gig and I was That's away, right. uh, I had left talk radio because we had a new baby. And then a month after I left the show, Robert Altman offered me a gig that was in Port Townsend. It was the Kane Mutiny Court Martial near Seattle yeah. and uh, on the West Coast. And all of a sudden, I'm completely gone. It isn't that I'm just like gone every night. I mean, both of us agreed, you know, given I was very early in my career, it's like, it's Robert Altman. I mean, for both of us, both Joe and I, he was our favorite like director. And the, yeah. Did your family ever come with you? I remember at the time, Jeff Daniels was on set. He was one of the other actors, stars in it. And his wife had just had a baby. I remember looking down from my window, watching him walking around holding this newborn. And I'm like, how the, how can he have his family here? I was so wound up when I had a gig of this type that I couldn't think straight. I was newly sober. I was, I was really shaky and I couldn't imagine having family around or anything like that. And to this day, yeah, they haven't been to set as much as you would think. I, so many people have talked about having their children on set or backstage. I, I love that idea yeah. in principle, but it never happened. I will with say me. that most of the stand up comics and performers I talk to about this say, I can't have my family there. I'd love to. But the brain switch between these two gears is too much of a transition. Yeah. Early on, it was like, I am my job. When my job goes up and down, I go up and down. Right. But now at this later stage of my life, it's like my job's over here, very happy about my job. But, you know, I think for a while I thought, like, this is the most special work that you could ever do. That's not true. The core of my life are these young people. You mentioned in Mark Mary's podcast that you were the first generation of dads to uh, change diapers while your wife was working. Was that just practical because that's the way it had to go? Or was that intentional because it was a reaction to how you were raised? Fortunately, marrying this brilliant woman uh, who is, that was, that was the way it was going to be. I remember one time Harry was small and I said, uh, there was some kind of stress. Of course, there's always stress with little kids. And I said, I I'm just trying to help you out here. And she goes, help me out? What What's the help me out part? You know, we're do aren't we doing this together? Right. And that was radical for me. I know it doesn't sound that radical. No. And and it's easy to to fall into the, the way that you were brought up, obviously. Um, but I felt like I did more than, certainly did a lot more than my dad. I remember the first time I took Harry somewhere and it was just me and him and he was 
really small, like he was a baby. And I took him to Boston and we flew and changed all his diapers and I did everything. And that created a bond between us mm. that there's no, there's no substitute for. Yeah. Um, and of course, when you are a parent, whether you're a mother or a father, you will hit a time in, well, most people do in their, when the kid is a teenager or something where they're like, yeah, you never did anything. And you want to go, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to explain it all to you. And now my son, Harry is a father now, and he is an amazing father. Whatever you lay on your kid, the way that you deal with your kid is how they're going to think about themselves. If you love them, they're going to think they're lovable. If you listen to them, they're going to think they're interesting. And that's yeah. that's the world that I live in with my sons and hopefully with the new guy. <laughs> you notice I don't say a lot of people's names too much because we in this business, we've yes. developed this habit of like, Hi, Harry. I'm a friend of your dad's. Would you like to get in this right. car? No, and no. We, we, we used to, to do like careful. exercises like that. So the guy comes up to you and he gives you candy. Yes. And you, what do you do? I take the candy. No, you don't <laughs> take the candy. I say I want different candy. No, you don't do that <laughs> <Yeah>. either. <laughs> Eric, uh, just an unbelievable pleasure. And you can see Eric Bogosian in new episodes of Interview with a Vampire. Thank you so much for joining me here. Thank you for having me. That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey, follow us. Follow us on the socials. There's all kinds of fun stuff going on there. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. We are at Parenting is a Joke. Twitter, we are at Parenting Joke. Join our monthly newsletter. It has updates, tips, tricks, games. Yeah, go to parentingisajokepod.com to sign up. But most importantly, subscribe if you haven't already to this podcast. Please pass it along to your friends, anyone that you think would like it. Definitely parents, new parents, old parents. And we have non-parent listeners. So if you know one of those, they'd like it too. If you're in New York, my friends, on June 6th, and if you're not, come into town and then come over to the Bell House in Brooklyn because we are doing a live show of this podcast. It is going to be a ball. To find out more details and everything about it, go to parentingisajokepod.com. Our episode is produced by me and Julie Smith-Clem. Our editor is Nina Porzuki. Our sound designer is Tina Toby Mack. Our game writer is Emily Winter. Our theme song and music is by Adira Amram and The Experience. Special thanks to all of the engineers at CityVox. And I'll leave you with this. I think my style of parenting was benign neglect. We have got through the day, and if nobody died, starved to death, or uh, was in jail, I figured things were going well. But these days, thank goodness I can do whatever I want with my granddaughter, and then my child has to worry about whatever happens after that. There's nothing like being a parent, but there's nothing like being a grandparent. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.